This episode is brought to you in partnership with Wacom. Across the globe, learning is still handwriting-centric, especially in mathematics and science. This can make the shift to digital tasks challenging. Many schools are seeking effective apps and hardware to ensure a smoother transition for digital learning, especially for STEM lessons. Expanding digital pen and ink technology from teachers to students opens up new possibilities for communication and collaboration in and out of the classroom. Using pen-enabled devices, teachers and students can explain complex concepts, take notes, provide feedback, and show their work quickly and easily. Wacom pen displays and tablets easily plug in to the existing IT equipment in the classroom, enabling members of the class to interact with the digital content being shared. The teacher never even needs to turn their back on the class. Collaboration is simple when working on shared documents and apps with the digital pen. There's no new software to learn. You just work with the pen on the screen or tablet instead of the mouse and keyboard on your computer. As educators, myself, Steve and Ben have all integrated the use of Wacom technology into where we've worked in education, into colleges and schools, and we have seen the benefits for ourselves. So go check it out for yourself. Uh, The link is in the show notes for this episode. Just as I was about to come on, evening everybody, my kids have just started shouting, so apologies. Welcome, good evening. It's uh, Winter is starting to come, it's raining, the rain is hammering at the windows. It is episode 193 of the Edge of Futures podcasts. Glad you could join us. Hopefully I'm speaking to somebody other than, than Dan and our guest and people are listening in. But uh, yeah, really excited for the episode this evening. We're going to dive into some of the stuff we've been exploring recently. Uh, on what Dan is saying, the hinges, but I think the future of education um, and work this evening. So I'm really excited about that. Uh, we are missing Ben this evening. Ben's tied up, uh, so can't join us, unfortunately. But uh, I'm sure that me and Dan can uh, can move things forward and really dive into a, a real positive conversation this evening. So, Dan, how are you doing, mate? Good week? Yeah, all good, man. Looking forward to this this episode. Uh, really, really where my, my passion is and has been over the over the last over the last year so looking forward to it but yeah good week uh good win for newcastle yesterday against everton uh staying in sixth position so yeah i was gonna say is anybody getting not getting a result at everton at the minute but uh i, I can't remember please have probably got beat by him this season because uh, literally that's just leads all over but uh no it's good to see the uh, uh the newcastle coming back uh last year was a challenge for both leads and newcastle won it wasn't a good season at the beginning so yeah, it's uh it's I nice know. to see it so uh yeah, oh, and, uh, we've just we've just picked ourselves up out of sheer determination. Um, yeah, nothing to do with money, nothing, nothing, just, just, nothing to do with no. money or anything like that. We've just <laughs> been the richest club in the world now, but uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. Yeah, a new car week for me, so exciting week. Oh yeah, so, how's that always going? Good, always a good week getting a new car. It's good. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Uh, got a, a BMW One Series, so enjoying driving that around at the minute. It's, it's always an interesting one when everybody says BMW to me now because I did some transactional analysis uh, through some coaching when I was still in education and BMW now means bitching, moaning and whinging club and how uh, <laughs> people respond differently to different messages and there's a re- rebellious child and a, a and and, uh, and I can't remember what the other child was. But basically the one where it looks like they're going to do something, they're listening to you, they're happy, go away and basically say tell people well, how they really feel behind you. So hopefully that's not what's going to happen in your car, Dan. And it's a and it's a good BMW. I would never but, uh, tell anyone that what I really think about you behind your back, Steve. <laughs> we keep that outside of the podcast. Everybody thinks we're friends, Dad. But I'm just going to share what happens outside of the podcast. This evening, just before the call and before Adam joined us, I came on to Dan wearing <laughs> wearing an Oculus headset, exploring the metaverse and webcams, and it was such a real one because Dan obviously didn't have his headphones on, couldn't see me. And I walked into something where Dan was literally walking oh, careful, around. Careful what saying, yeah. yeah, he had his clothes on. I could only, well, I think he did. He could only see waist up. But, uh, but yeah, I did say to our guests, we do ramble and waffle for about five minutes before we even invite people in. So uh, shall we get going? Um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this one. I think um, I'll bring um, Adam, uh, Adam Roney in. In a second, um, Adam oh, uh, sorry, and I've myself. Already brought oh, no, it's all right. He's here. He's here. We've done it. <laughs> but Adam, we'll we'll get you to introduce yourself. But we we met 
uh, a couple of years ago, just at the, I don't want to say the height of the pandemic, but just into it, and we were exploring professional services. And I joined, um, somebody reached out to me and asked if I wanted to be involved and said as an expert. And I think uh, I there was like, I think you might have the wrong email. Turns out actually we've, uh, I did have something to say. It was a positive webinar, but uh, uh, it's good to see you in a different guise, Adam. And, and how's everything going? Yeah, well, guys, I'm I'm glad I took my uh, VR headset off just before you dialed me in. But, um, yeah, no, re- really good, and yeah, g- great to be on the show. Thank you for having me. And Steve, yeah, in that in that past life, yeah, you absolutely were. Uh, we definitely got the right e- email address. Um, you were you were our educational expert for what was a really interesting discussion, I guess, around the evolution of professional services, and as you say, at the height of the pandemic, how everybody was coping with things, and. Um, you know, in particular, goodness me, education. Wow, what a series of challenges, you know, the, the sector had to go through during the pandemic. And um, honestly, congratulations, I think, to every educator that got through it because, um, uh, you know, we actually, I didn't have a, a son at the start of the pandemic, but I've uh, one was born throughout. And I can only imagine what it must have been like as a parent having children going through that and the remote learning and as a practitioner having to try and adapt to all of the different ways of delivering content and media. So yeah, huge, hugely impressive time. And um, yeah, very, very happy to be on the show and, and chat to you guys about uh, Web3, blockchain, the metaverse and beyond. Yeah, because education moved uh, and, and went for a real, uh, there's been talk of this paradigm shift for years, aren't there? And this big shift from an education point of view that covid has heightened it, brought it to the attention, and, and the skills level has gone up. But when we talk about what we just said, the blockchain and, and, and everything else, and we're going to dive into it in a second, I think people have reversed back to thinking digital and, and technology across all colleges, not just in the classroom, but into Dan Leeds Digital. And I work in now as a, a CEO with, in, a, in an organization that supports colleges. That actually, I still speak to people that do not have a digital strategy. It's an interesting one because actually, it's so much more than just. Than, than teaching learning in a classroom but Adam do, do you want to just walk us through uh, as a starter uh, who you are um, obviously the, the calls nine what does that look like and what was it and, and what has that now become since the shift and uh, uh, around technology yeah sure so um, calls nine is a, a digital innovation and transformation agency which means that we help principally businesses work out their digital strategy and we either build new digital products and services or we improve existing ones. And um, I've been running the business for almost 12 years now. And throughout the vast majority of that time, we've been building what we would call, I guess, Web2 products and services. So digital software, as you know and love it, and as we use it today from simple websites, mobile apps, e-commerce experiences, customer portals and beyond, really. And we've also done... Um, a bunch of work in the education space, helping with internal communication and knowledge management and um, marketing initiatives and student outreach as well. But what happened, I guess, interestingly during the pandemic was that a proportion of our client base um, went pretty pretty quiet, to be totally honest with you. And this caused us to kind of say, okay, well, where, where are the new growth opportunities? Where is the new market for us? And I'd been interested in Web3 for a really long time but hadn't really felt that the technology had matured to a point where you could do many useful things with it. But over that period, we were fortunate enough to get involved with a number of projects and in a community where we actually got to flex our muscle a bit with that and actually start building and deploying some real um, Web3 applications and products and services. And for me, I would say that it's been one of the biggest shifts that we've gone through as a business in terms of moving in that direction very heavily. And as someone who's been building software for for 20 years, I'll talk more about that uh, in a minute because I've been doing it pre-Calls 9. It's really captured my imagination and it's excited me um, in a way that I think the last time I felt this kind of seismic shift in technology was really with the advent of mobile, where you looked at mobile and you were like, this is clearly going to be a game changer and we're going to consume technology completely differently. It's going to become part of our lives. It's going to become augmented you know, with our being in such a different way. Web3 excites me for, for lots of reasons that we'll explore in to, to the same level of magnitude, really. Um, so we have gone full steam ahead in that direction. And I've been fortunate enough to attend lots of conferences this year and sort of talk about it and give our vision for what we think the Web3 future um, will be. 
And even though elements of Web3, I think, are yet to fully crystallize, I would say the metaverse is one of those where it almost, you know, it beguiles definition at the moment. Um, and crypto has got a little bit of a bad rep in the last six months because of the investment cycle. The reality is that the underlying technology is very, very sound. And there are lots of exciting opportunities, I think, to to take that forward. Um, and maybe just to give you a, a bit of a sense of my background before Calls 9, I was a commercial corporate lawyer for a little while. I trained a, a global law firm. And prior to that, as I said, I've been writing software for quite a long time. So I was fortunate that the school I was at encouraged me from a very, very young age to interact with software, to interact with technology. So I started programming when I was about eight or nine and was building websites by the time I was 13. And a lot of that was to do with the environment I was in, the academic setting I was in, um, and the opportunities I was given to basically play and experiment with technology. Um, I think Web3 has got lots of the same characteristics for people today. There's a lot of fun that can be had by experimenting with this tech and trying to take it in different directions. So again, that's kind of, it's it's the sort of shortened version, but it's the story arc of, of sort of where I've come from, some of the things I've done and, and why hopefully I think Web3 is going to be an interesting tech for us. Yeah, definitely. And and if anyone's listening and doesn't know much about it, I think it was episode 167 where we where we kind of talked over the basics of it and 172 where we looked at kind of some implications for education as well. But um, I, I suppose everyone you speak to when it when it comes to Web three like has a different take on it because it's because it's such a a new technology and and I suppose where it's going to go in the next decade um, could be a, a number of various routes from global domination if you talk to some people to to just better software if you talk to some other people. So kind of what's what's led us to this i don't know, i guess without being too technical what's the what is this technology that is um powering um nfts which people hear mainly because of art or damien hurst on the, on the news uh, was it was it damien hurst who was burning lots of his artwork last week yep. yeah because yep. he, he turned some of them into nfts that what a, a lot of people will know of nfts or heard of crypto but they might not necessarily know that there's a common technology behind all of these this new generation and i guess how is that different to to the last 20 years of 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 the internet or last 30 years of the internet i guess yeah well to sort of like orientate the conversation i where i feel like we are and this reference only means something to people of a certain age but when the before the internet was sort of clearly identified as the internet um the journalists, the BBC used to refer to it as the information superhighway. And if you go, you might even be able to get the videos on YouTube, you know, pictures of roads and cars and things were coming up on screens, you know, because they didn't really know what this thing was. They they just had a sense that it was going to be able to transfer information at speed between people. And what eventually happened over time was that the terminology settled down. We called it the internet. And then there were companies that commercialized it in a way that consumers and normal people could access that's kind of what's happening with blockchain and what we call web3 so web3 to me um contains blockchain and it contains the metaverse and it's characterized by um identity experience and ownership in a way that what's come before hasn't it's not a new technology, really. It's been around for, you know, over a decade now. But the reality is that it's only really just reaching maturity and the potential for mass adoption in the last 12 months. I mean, depending on some people you talk to, it could even be within the last six weeks because we've had we've had something called the Ethereum merge that's happened, which I can talk about in more detail, which basically means it's faster and you can do more things with it now than you could do before. But the tech's been around for quite a long time. What initially drove that tech um, was a radical view of the world to say that actually centralized ownership in a, a single company or a single entity's hands can be quite um, risky, right? Those entities can disappear and ultimately what happens to all the information that was, has been stored there, it can be lost forever. So blockchain is a sort of solution to that in its simplest form. It's a way to share information. It's a way to, sh it's a way to share um, uh computer processing capability across this distributed network so that instead of Microsoft having all your data or Google having all your data, it's shared across the blockchain. So a single entity does not control your data. As a byproduct from that, we get cryptocurrency and crypto 
has lots of different functions in Web3, but one of its functions is basically to maintain the network, to incentivize people to set up nodes, to replicate this information and to keep it running. So crypto is a really interesting part of Web3, but it's not the whole of it. And I think this is one of the big things that we get confused about is that they, they almost look like they're inseparable from each other, but they are actually quite distinct entities. And so, you know, you don't have to get caught up in the crypto hype to think that blockchain is potentially a, a useful technology. So you've got this foundational layer where information is distributed instead of being centrally stored. And we've got this idea of tokenization, which is things that live on the blockchain and which can be shared, purchased, traded and moved around. All of that evolves into what we now know as NFTs, which are essentially a specific type of um, token, a specific type of smart contract that live on the blockchain and they contain some information and attached to that information is in most cases, some form of picture, which is where we kind of are with NFTs at the moment. Because the blockchain um, is always true, it's immutable, we can use this technology to say this copy of this picture is the original copy of it. And we can verify that because of the way the blockchain technology works. So it's lent itself to art really nicely because if you want to know you've got the original copy of that piece of artwork, then the blockchain essentially has the characteristics to let you prove that. Because it can also uh, deal with cryptocurrency, it means you can also make money by trading these pieces of artwork. So again, there's another reason why art has, has naturally lent itself to and to the blockchain. And so people have kind of jumped on this and said, right, we're going to use NFTs. We're going to create art collections. They're called drops sometimes when they're uh, sort of released en masse and people can pay for them in cryptocurrency. They can own them and have an original um, piece of artwork. The NFT technology, though, has lots and lots of other use cases. And really, the what you're seeing now is, is sort of, I'm not even really sure I'd call it version one of where we're going to end up. We're kind of in 0.1 maybe at this stage. Because if you think about what the NFT is really doing, it's saying this is the true copy, true version of this piece of information. And we could apply that to lots of different things. We could apply that to passports, to driving licenses, to other types of identity documentation, potentially to academic grades. So I think that tech is going to rapidly evolve into all sorts of different use cases. And you're already seeing some companies do this. Starbucks has launched its um, loyalty program on a on a network called Polygon, which is is a very, very large network. And so they're using effectively NFTs in the blockchain to give people loyalty points for their Starbucks activity. Uh, FIFA is doing the same thing uh, with uh, football player images and, and videos and assets. Again, kind of a, a loyalty play. So that tech at the moment, it, it will go beyond apes and yachts and Damien Hurst, and it will move into lots of different areas. And it's really only one strand of what's happening on the blockchain. There are lots and lots of developments taking place, but it's the one that's kind of caught people's um, imagination and attention, I guess. Yeah, hundred percent. And I, I do. I think what excites me is like that is when it comes into the real world. Like I know there is a lot. Of, there's a, a lot of the talk is around kind of the it being able to uh, manage ownership in in the digital world, digital assets, and and that very much links in with with the metaverse. But I, I like that. I'm sure I read something a few months ago about somebody was experimenting it with with a lock for your house. So because you had the NFT that that could op that was unique in the and that could open the the lock on your house. And I just thought that the the implications for the real world are are phenomenal as well. And that's and again, like you say, that's it's very early stages. Where where does that go? Where does that lead? Well, I think it's interesting as well. So the metaverse um, my view is you're already in the metaverse is, is, is my first observation. I think you've been in the metaverse since you've been holding a phone in your pocket that's had access to, broadly speaking, unlimited information. Um, but if you think about the, the ownership and transactional side of that, it's been a little bit clunky, really. And I think blockchain can be a solution to that. So digital keys, digital passports, um, you know, IRL experiences, so exclusive access to venues, concerts, you know, all this sort of thing absolutely is possible through blockchain. And one of the questions people say um, is, 
well, can't you do that with Web2 technology? Why is this different? Well, you can do some of it with Web2 technology. There's no doubt about that. But the um, issue with it is that Web2 technology is completely centralized. So if you want to truly own something, I mean, let's take the example of unlocking the key to your uh, house, right? If that's on Google's server and Google disappears or someone else disappears, you've lost the key to your house. That, I mean, that's unfathomable. You know, you never want to be in that position. So the blockchain, because it's uh, decentralized, it removes that from the equation. It means that when you own something digitally, you really do own it and you own it permanently. And that is is much more difficult to do with Web2 technology. It's a really interesting one because we've been, as Dan said, we've gone back through different episodes. We've, we've, we've had some great ones where we've explored it in terms of its definition, looking into it. And I think you've done a, a great job of, of reimagining that and bringing it to life and put it into a context as well, Adam. But then we also explored um, the any uh, the oh, the school down, the college, uh, where the decentralization, uh, the central aliens and learning about NFTs and everything else that goes with oh, yeah. it. Invisible College. Uh, Invisible College. I was going to say Invincible College. I was like, I knew what that was, right? So but so we we then delved into actually what does that look like and we put it into the context of real education in the US where people are paying hundreds of thousands of pounds to go through education system that um, doesn't guarantee them getting a job. So they kind of create this whole ethos of NFTs um, uh, and owning an, uh, an NFT buying it but that potentially grows in value as an nft in terms of its its, its value as a as as, a, as, a, as an item but also that unlocks a world of people recording and delivering and upskilling each other on uh, nfts uh, 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 blockchain all of those kind of things which was it's exceptional really because when you put it into context and we're going to delve into education further at some point but even just in that context it's education is so centralized they have the control and when you talk about and i know we won't go into it because we must have covered 90 percent of episodes for 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 beginning of time around awarding bodies and organizations that they have the you sit your exam you've given all that time but if you want another copy of it and you lose it what does that look like to get it back because it's owned by somebody else and if that awarding body goes out of business and there have been awarding organizations that got out of business you can't even get your certificate anymore but if you own it and i think there's there's all of that to, to kind of unpick. But I think the big fear of not just education and the big thing of education and the world is because, like you said, we're maybe not even in version one, people still see it as still immature. You've said it's been 10 years and it's just maturing now. But they're thinking, well, we don't need to worry about it and we'll, we'll, we'll learn it in a few years because it's, it's, it's not really there yet. But I think what you're seeing and what we're going to talk about is the fact that right now companies – the technology is being used in the real world in context and we need to get ready for it now and prepare people for it because it's going to grow and it's going to develop while we're actually in it rather than thinking about joining it in 10 years time or 20 years time is that right yeah it, it is and i mean you know it's when people sort of look at you in disbelief and i'll explain why i, I think everything you've said is completely true i just take people back to okay well let's talk about the internet i mean by the time, um, you know, depending on who you ask, 94, 95, 96, around that time, the internet became publicly available to consumers. The technology had been around for a very, very long time before then. I mean, it was it was used in an academic setting, right, for academic institutions to communicate with each other. Before that, it was used in a military setting for the military to communicate with each other. So by the time we got it, you know, it... it it had been around a while and it still didn't really make a lot of sense to most consumers. I remember, um, you know, people saying, why would I ever need to put my business on the internet? I mean, this is a conversation people had. I will never need to put my business on the internet. My business will never need a website. People will, you know, people will phone me. They'll use the yellow pages. You mean I'm going to be taking orders from people that I can't see? Who's going to put their credit card into? I mean, all of these statements that at the time people just, completely believed and then you look at where we are now and it's just ridiculous to think that we we even slowed down and paid homage to those things you know people people just couldn't see the vision for what was coming and now it's it's so obvious and of course what we're doing today is undeniably web 2 
social, video, communication, streaming. You know, this was not, web one wasn't able to do this. So you're on version two now. So, you know, web 3.1, if that's, if that's where we're headed, right? I mean, you know, you can transact currencies, cryptocurrencies globally, instantaneously. You can store information on the blockchain now. You can create hundreds of NFTs in a matter of minutes. This this technology is all there. Um, the issue for consumers is, I still think the language is too confusing. And the interface to it is a little bit clunky. You have to physically install a wallet. And then you have to put things in this wallet. And there's all these barriers to it. You could argue it's no different to a web browser. I mean, when you turned on a computer in 94, you had to open a web browser to use the internet. People, what was a web browser? You know, it was another piece of software. So I think the parallels are pretty strong for um, dealing with the terminology, accepting that there's a bit of a, an adaptation required for the wallets. Eventually, they'll be baked into web browsers by default, baked into devices by default. It won't be a separate thing you need to install. Um, but then the third and most important thing, really, in terms of uh, driving mass adoption is brands, businesses and brands and institutions actually using the technology. You know, the fact that Starbucks is willing to put, um, I think they call it, I think it's called Starbucks Odyssey. Um, but the fact they're actually baking NFT technology, Web3 technology into their global loyalty program for 30 million users, that is going to drive adoption. Um Warner Brothers Studios has literally either today or within the last couple of days created a new Twitter account called Warner Brothers NFT, which is going to list all of their NFTs that you can access. Instagram and Facebook now um, have native NFT support baked into the application. So, you know, these are not companies that are playing around. The, the, these are people who have committed to the technology and are going big on it. Um, and they will drive they will drive mass adoption. So I think, you know, nothing in technology is is beautiful and linear and always um, uh, clear. But I think the direction of travel is set in motion here. We've got big brands that that are really getting behind it. One last example for you is that that Google uh, obviously has a, a cloud computing division called uh, GCP, and in the last week they announced that you can now pay for your GCP services um, in cryptocurrency. That again, this is not a small move. That's a big move. Um, so I, I think the direction of travel is clear, but there are a lot, but there are still bumps in the road. There's still barriers to overcome. Consumer education, the interface with the technology, and actually, you know, having genuine use cases as well. I, I think I completely agree with everything you said, Adam. And I think one thing that I keep coming back to is is to take like the macro view of of this technology in the context of of how the world works at the moment. And, and and I always come back to this stumbling block, really, of decentralization kind of is is in, to a certain extent, is in opposition to how power is gained and how power is demonstrated in in the world today. And and I'm going, I'm going really uh, big, like, macro on this in terms of view. But it's a stumbling block I come back to because I think, I think all, it, it makes absolute sense to me and and is is completely rational to because of the the level of this technology. If you understand anything about the technology, you see that it's it's miles better um, in in terms of what we've got at the minute. And it and it has to win out. It can't we can't put this back in the box now and go well, let's pretend like that technology doesn't exist and let's just carry on the way it was. It will win out. But but I see it, and and you, you, I don't know if you, you might think differently to this, but I, I see almost we're going to have to have a lot of conflict for this to become mainstream as well, because even just take the typical corporations, they're very centrally um, run. Like you mentioned before, like how, how corporations, big global corporations like Google, like Microsoft and, and all of them, they're very centrally run. Um, if, if the technology is going to exist for things to be um, decentrally run, like if we're talking about a DAO or something like that, and, and then even, I mean, the financial system, I mean, for for millennia and millennia, the most powerful people in the world were had centralized, have centralized access to the financial system. And we're talking about a financial system that could replace that and be completely decentralized. My, my first thought is there's quite a few people and people who own quite a bit of 
quite a bit of firepower <laughs> that aren't going to want that to happen. And and we see at the minute like uh, people like Putin like, who are who are exploring and I think are creating their own trying to create their own uh, digital blockchain based currencies, but they're not going to be decentralized in the same way that we, we see in other cryptocurrencies because they're still going to want power over them. And I guess it would just be great to get your take on how, do you see this coming to a bit of a crux uh, within different industries, within different sectors around the world? And, and can true decentralization win out in the end? So I think, I mean, it's a great set of questions. I think um, it's like everything in life, whether, whether, it's all about frame of reference. So whether something is centralized or decentralized, I mean, there's a, there's a sort of purists definition of it, but even their definition falls apart a little bit. You know, if, if I said to you, you know, across, across Bitcoin and across Ethereum, the nodes that run those networks, they're measured in the tens of thousands. They're not measured in the millions. So is that, is that fully decentralized? Is that partially decentralized? I'm not, I'm not sure, but we can, they're knowable entities. We can count them. It's a bit like the internet, you know, the, the internet in theory is borderless, limitless, and you, anything can connect to it. Anything can be added to it. Okay. Notwithstanding some of the physical limitations of running out of IP addresses and things like that. But in theory, anybody can come on and, and play ball as long as you agree to the protocols and you communicate. Um, but the practicality of it is that for there to be an for there to be a consumer interface, you need to have brands that solve different parts of the uh, problem chain, right? So we have internet service providers because it's too difficult for us to work out how to do that ourselves. So we pay Virgin Media, BT, whoever it might be, to connect to the internet. So that is a is a more centralized way of, a, of, a, of a attaching ourselves to a decentralized network and the bigger those players become the more power they have over how that network looks and feels you know going back to web one aol would be a really good example of this where you know you used to open up aol and the internet was a button you know the rest of it was just aol's walled garden news stocks photos whatever it was all technically the internet but they walled you off into a little square that was called the internet we don't want that to happen with with blockchain and Web3, and I don't think it will. I think it's going to be closer to the thing you've got at the moment with, with Web2, which is that big brands are already appearing who are controlling different parts of the ecosystem to make it more convenient for consumers and brands to interact with each other. Um, so I'm a pragmatist rather than a purist about it. I think that's probably fine. Um you know, we're talking, I'm talking to you in an open source browser, sure, but it's sitting on top of a proprietary system, which is my Mac. So I, I think that technology as a whole is probably, for it to really advance, it requires combinations of public, private, open source, closed source, centralized, decentralized. Um, in terms of the financial system, though, I think there's two reasons why it will never be fully decentralized. I think the first is that... Um, if you had all of your savings, instead of it was in, you know, NatWest, HSBC or wherever, but if it was sat on your MacBook in your wallet and that wallet got stolen, you have lost everything. You know, there's no consumer protection. There's no way of getting that back. I think that's an ultra risky situation for people to be in. And I think it's completely unrealistic. I think most people don't want to be a bank from start to finish. But I think there are parts, again, of the financial process that you should have more control over. So if I want to send you money, I'm not really sure why I need lots of intermediaries to do that. So I think the storage of finance versus the movement of, of, of cash is a, is a different thing. Um, and I think actually on the, on, the, on the storage side, I think lots of people will retain a, a traditional bank account for lots of different reasons. But on the movement side, I think it can be fully decentralized i think it potentially can be on the payments processing side as well um it gets a little bit complicated at this stage but essentially the the big thing that's happening in the blockchain space at the moment is the development of what we call layer two solutions so layer one is the actual blockchain itself whether that's um you know ethereum or another um, and when you write transactions to that chain, there's a cost associated with doing with it and there's a speed associated with doing it. There's a maximum transaction processing volume. 
layer two solutions have come along and sort of said, we'll solve this, we'll make it faster and we'll make it cheaper. Essentially, we'll make it more convenient. But when you interact with a layer two, you're not interacting with the main blockchain. So that has, again, gone from a fully decentralized solution into a partially decentralized solution. Um, and actually, in finance, we do this all the time anyway. If I said to you, you know, we're out and about, and I said, listen, let's pay for something. Well, the, the, the layer one equivalent of you paying for it is you going to the bank, pulling the money out, giving it to the guy. And sometimes you do that, but sometimes it's not convenient. The, the layer two solution is you hand over a credit card. The credit card makes it convenient. It isn't really your bank. It isn't really your money. There's a whole process that happens to reconcile your bank account to your credit card. But you use your credit card because it's convenient. So I think what's going to happen with Web3 is that the core tech is, is going to always be decentralized. But there's going to be these convenience layers that get put on top, which we call layer two and layer three solutions, to make it easier, faster, and cheaper to interact with the chain and from my perspective as long as they're done in the right way i think that's okay um blockchain purists would not be happy about this but i think it's a pragmatic solution to a to a very real world problem i mean to give you an example ethereum 1.0 could only process 14 transactions a second globally 14 transactions a second they've done this thing called the ethereum merge where they've upgraded it and it can now do something like 100,000 transactions a second. So it's significantly faster than it was before. But it still is nowhere in comparison to the amount of transactions Visa is processing per second or MasterCard is processing per second. It's light years away. So I, it, I think it will evolve. I think it's going to be a hybrid world, some centralization, some decentralization. And maybe just to sort of wrap this point off, I think that what you'll find is the phrase blockchain is a bit amorphous. So if I say to you internet, you know, what does it mean? Does it mean Amazon Web Services? Does it mean Google? Does it mean Microsoft? Well, it kind of means all of them, doesn't it? And there are some things that are really important to you that you store in different parts of the internet. And there are other things that are less important. I think blockchain will become the same. There'll be, you will have different bits of the blockchain for storing different um, types of information. Healthcare data will live in a certain place. Your NFTs could live in a certain place. I think that's where it will go rather than being um one thing eats all and i think the internet is a pretty good model for that because that's exactly what's happened with cloud computing and and uh, internet storage generally it's an yeah. interesting one when you talk about healthcare um yeah when you go through a process of of, of becoming a, a parent and 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 the whole processes of that of, of you might work with a midwife, your local GP service, you might then go to one hospital to then go to a different hospital and all of those things. And you just love for it all to talk to each other. It's one NHS is what you think. But actually, because of the NHS being centralised, but the interesting bit is they don't talk. It's, it's so strange, isn't it, that actually how things are set up of moving away and, and, and taking Web3 uh, and the blockchain and using it effectively that actually you would say that's my data i know you're transacting it as an organization that's fine i've given you access to do so but at any point i want access and i want to be able to control access and who can have it and when and right now that's really difficult to do in some organizations because um, i know there was a thing i think it was about 12 months ago wasn't it where they sent through a survey and it was an opt-out survey where they were said we're going to process your data in a very different way and a lot of people took those or it will be attached to a service where I can access some information. Uh, there is a lot of skeptics that basically said, no, that's uh, an opportunity to make uh, money out of data. But hopefully that might be a step forward. But if you move it forward into Web3 and everything we just talked about, you have ownership of it. Yes, it's centrally, it's stored. So it, is it full or is it is it is it partial? But at the same point, I own that and I can take it anywhere. Um, and I think that's the key. And I think that's just speeding up the process of... Um, there's talk of, uh, and it was in the news, I think, this week, where it's saying a doctor surgery would never be like booking cinema tickets or never buy, like, it won't be that speedy. But it's like, it should be. Because actually, if you've got the information right there, it shouldn't take you five different emails or to download something or go through everything else just to book the appointment because I have to tell you about myself every time, even though I could just give you that information. I think it's, I think even just in this, just in a really basic example that I could give there, I think that's just a great way of how it could speed things up right now if it was just adopted.
Yeah. So th this is really a, a, an area of interest for me because I think there's there's two reasons why blockchain is is absolutely the solution to do what you're talking about. So the first is a little bit architectural, which is you know anybody who has been involved in running IT inside a business or a, a sm small organization, medium sized organization, a large organization, there is so much duplication of setting things up, checking security, maintaining, patching, you know, all this sort of stuff. There's just a whole life cycle of things that you have to do. Whereas the blockchain has 99% of that baked in by default. So by writing to the chain, you, your data is essentially backed up across the whole network. You can make it secure by default. Um, it's pseudo anonymized by default, and you can make it private and encrypted as well. So that's you just get that out of the box just by using um, that technology. That's why when I talk to people in a more technical um, setting, I say, look, I think it's a foundational technology which you should think about in most of your applications and understand if there's a use case for it. But in the personal data space, I think it's immensely powerful. So there are organizations called data unions which are using Web3 to let you tokenize your personal data. So healthcare is a really touchy topic, obviously, love the NHS and support the NHS. But the reality is that your medical records in the UK, at least, are not technically your data. The NHS owns them and the NHS ha has to consent to you actually having them. There isn't a way for you to get hold of everything right now. And there's lots of reasons why that's the case. But I personally think it's your information. I think it's your data and I think you should be able to move it around. So by having it stored in the blockchain, you could do that. And what the data unions do um, their vision is to say, okay, instead of you submitting all this data and then a third party owning it and you losing control, actually, we tokenize it all, we put it on the blockchain, and then you give consent to access. And you can turn off that consent at any time you want to. It cuts the link and the information is yours. And there are a series of organizations that are trying to bring this to life. And there are marketplaces that are being built up around this. And it's it's called first party data. Um, there are ones that exist at the moment where you can connect them to your bank account and you can effectively monetize your banking data. Um, there are some healthcare ones that are coming to pass as well. But this is 100% a, a blockchain use case, not centralized, not reliant on an existing company, completely secure, and you can control who has access to it. That is very, very, very difficult to do in a Web2 world, if not arguably almost impossible. So I think data portability and data privacy is one of the big reasons to use it. Yeah, it's interesting just going back to what you were saying before while you were speaking there, thinking there's probably so many business opportunities at, at many stages in that process as well. Like you're going to need a company to verify that data as well and make sure you haven't fraudulently created it to looks like somebody else because you can you can do that you can create an nft can't you it doesn't necessarily have to represent an ex, an external truth so it's yeah i think it's uh, it's, it's fascinating well i i quite like that idea of the that whole corruption side of things and how decentralization is because it takes that the power away from a, a central organization the the ability to 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 stop corruption, to be able to to limit corruption. Um, and I think we live in a world where, although it probably has been a bit more visible recently, um, there is a there is a lot there's a lot of corruption going on. And I guess um the the power of the technology to to kind of help that and and to 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 to, to try and end that is, is is quite powerful. Yeah, I, I mean I think anything where truth matters, um the blockchain is a is a very sensible solution. So voting records, census data, political decisions. I mean, I, I think there are a lot, there's a huge amount of governmental and, and public service uh, information, which probably should be stored in a decentralized way. Um, you know, why does, why does, why does companies house hold all of this information on companies? You know, how, and, and actually how do you know it's accurate? I mean, one of the funny things that happens on Companies House is you quite frequently get the same director's name appearing multiple times and the records aren't linked together. And it's quite simple things like that because it's complicated to manage at scale in Web 2. Um, so I think I think public policies, you know, government and public services, I, I think there's lots and lots and lots of use cases for blockchain, which 
when it starts to make more sense to people and and it feels a bit less scary i i think adoption will speed up really quickly um because when you when you when you push something to the blockchain for the first time and you actually see it live there and you realize that it is there and you have done that and now it's not going anywhere it's a really powerful sort of feeling you know it's totally different from building any other type of software where you know it could disappear at any point in time yeah definitely even something like patents God, you wouldn't you do, you wouldn't need a patent office, would you? A centralized patent office, because you could just prove actually. Here's the NFT to show that this was my idea. Yeah, and to sort of layer the concepts in for people as well. I mean, everything we're talking about at the moment is about truth and identity. So, where is the data? What is the data? What um, what Ethereum brought to the party? And now this is now there now there are what we call Ethereum compatible blockchains. Um, is it it brought something called the EVM or the Ethereum virtual machine, which is basically a way of running mini software applications on the blockchain. So now we're moving into a position where we can run code, and this is what we call smart contracts. So now we can push a piece of code effectively to the blockchain. And we can have it run automatically, autonomously. We can have it check external data sources. We can, we can essentially take some of the most important decisions that matter to us, and we can put them on the chain to know that they will always happen. That is a really crazy concept to try and get your head around. Um, but it's it again in a in a in a business setting in a public service setting, it's really really important. So the ability to codify those important decisions and have them always run and have them always execute is is kind of what starts to build the foundations for what we know as the as the DAOs you know the 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 distributed autonomous organizations um so the idea that a charity for example could codify all of its rules of governance and actually put those onto the blockchain and, and always run. So the charity is always run in a certain way. The foundation is always run in a certain way. And the members have a say over it. It's just it's just immensely powerful. I mean, th- think about the categories of problem that you can solve with that. And again, uh, as we were saying, the sort of corruption that you can get rid of as well. So it's not it's not without its flaws. It's not 100% perfect. But I think this is a, this is a vision for where things can go if if we can keep driving adoption of the technology. And Dan's, I think Dan's having some technical issues, but uh, so he's dropped out. But it's really interesting. We had a, an episode last week, um, uh, and last week we we had um, a, a gentleman who'd been involved in the Apollo missions, uh, had been uh, in, uh, in, in, and uh, what a fascinating uh, Bill Halal, uh, what a fascinating uh, gentleman he was been uh, and is. Um, but he talked. We talked about um, the world and what and, and its maturity and it's going through stages and what the world will become and we've now focused on knowledge and and he runs a a, a, a prediction agency in terms of, of tech now around what the next wave is and and we uh, like a, a, an age of, of of consciousness now where we know knowledge we knowledge is not enough um it's about beliefs values the impact and everything else and i shared uh, one of my favorite stories that i think has is out there, but has been muddied over, not through any fault of its own, but because some, a lot of the chaos of of the financial situation and uh, and and the, the the crisis in Ukraine and everything else that's going on that's negative. And I think a lot of positive news is is washed out by it, and people are just not listening to it because they turn on the news and they're like, I don't need any more negativity. It's coming to winter. But my one of my favourite stories around um, what's happened at Patagonia a brand that I have loved for such a long time yeah. because of uh, how it's been run, how it was created by a rock climber who never saw himself as a billionaire, a founder, and, and that type of industry, and has now created something that has been given away. But actually, yeah. if you, what you said in regards to the creation of that and how you can make sure that through the blockchain that that trust will always do as it has said – so that can, in 20 years, they don't turn around and, and a lot of the stuff that's been said and, and, and gone back on in, in recent weeks. But if that was said, that you could create that, that always run true, that the trust uses the blockchain through the code and make sure that it pulls through, puts it in there, 97% of profit that's taken out when he's run through that will always be taken out and reinvested in sustainability and, and, uh, and, and saving the environment. 
they can't argue with, they can't, they'll actually write this off as tax and we can't do this with profit. They can't muddy it because they will know factually exactly what it is. We'll take it out and hopefully at some point we'll be able to put that into whatever accounts decentralized or central centralized, whatever that would be, and make sure that is used for good. Imagine merging those two wonderful things to, to, to come out of it. Um, yeah, yeah. Fascinating. hundred percent. I, I was on stage in London a few weeks ago talking about this exact topic to an audience actually. And I, and I, and I used Patagonia and I said, what they, what Patagonia have done is, is wonderful, but if they'd done it as a DAO, it would have been even better. And, and you're right. That's what needs to come now. Okay. Why did they not do it as a DAO? Well, this stuff is very new still. So we're, we're, we're uh, you know, we're going through the development of the technology and we're going through the standardization of it. Um, but the other the other issue, which is always the case, is the legal system hasn't quite caught up with all this yet. So the enforceability of things in, against a DAO, you know, the legal obligations of a DAO, its tax status, how does it function? I mean, a lot of these questions are unanswered. But what's interesting is, you know, developments are taking place and they're taking place quite rapidly. I mean, one of the principles we have in English, uh, in the English legal system and, and many legal systems around the world is that you need to serve papers on notice on people to uh, effectively engage them in litigation or put them on notice that something has happened where we need them to interact with the legal system. Well, obviously the issue with blockchain is we don't necessarily know who you are, but the beautiful thing is we know where everything is. So we know the wallet addresses of all of the people who are interacting with the chain. So a barrister in London served papers into a wallet. We, now, we don't know who owns the wallet, but what it means is that whenever the wallet is reopened or effectively claimed, there's there are actually legal enforcement papers sitting inside it waiting for them. So this is an example of where, again, to drive adoption, certainly in the UK, we need the, we need the legal system, we need the financial regulatory system to catch up so that we can, so that we can move forward. Um, I mean, the UK and, and the EU are actually regulating at the moment. There's something called the Financial Services and Markets Act, I think, which in the UK is regulating some of the crypto trading. And in Europe, they've got something called Mika, which is regulating all digital assets generally. But we've got a long way to go before it's standardized. Um, but yeah, putting decisions on the chain and having them auto-execute um, indefinitely or based on certain conditions is is a remarkable characteristic. So to try and, I always try and layer it back up again. So we've we've started with this idea of a decentralized network and all that was doing was storing data basically then we put on top of that the idea that we could sort of trade with each other move data around transfer things to each other this is where ownership comes to play and then we put the another layer on top which is we can actually codify decisions logic put them into programs and have them be distributed across the chain as well now we've got a fully distributed cloud compute grid storage grid decision making grid um it, that we've never had that before so the things that we can do with that i think haven't even been fully kind of conceived or invented yet um and yeah i'd love to see the patagonia of tomorrow be relaunched as a dao and i and i suspect that you know the younger people coming through the system now who are starting companies uh, running initiatives, charities, foundations. I think they're going to be looking at this technology and thinking, okay, how, we should use this, right? Because this is how we do broad civic participation. It's how we guarantee equitable outcomes. It's a different way of thinking than a standard corporate model. Uh, and just on that, um, as edufuturist, we'd be amiss to not bring it back. And to be fair, everything is related to, to, to education, the future of learning and the future of, of what we need to prepare for. And you just touched upon it that, the future generation, the generation that's just coming through and starting, we'll, we'll, we'll start to link into this technology and start to see because of its benefits. Um, you're somebody who's involved in it, who runs a company in it, and is involved in all of the, the different entities of it. Is it just simply creating the students of, of now uh, and tomorrow, those ones that are just more about knowledge, um, but also pushing them to skills, so curiosity, creativity, uh, consciousness, all of those kind of things. Is that what we need to, to kind of uh, for, 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 for roles and, and, and employers like yourself? Or is it greater than that? Do we need a different skill set? Are we just talking about coding and stuff? Or actually are we talking about a bigger thing in terms of preparedness for, for what's coming? 
I think it's a shifting landscape. So um, this is an unpopular opinion, and I run a technology business and we do a lot of coding, but we code in raw terms fewer lines of code today than we did 25 years ago. And in 25 years from now, we will code even less. So, and the, and the reason that that's happening is not, is not just because of this low code movement, but because um, increasingly AI will be creating software for us. I mean, you can, you can already do this. You can speak to a computer and have it generate the AI to represent a, an abstract concept. So I think <clears throat> in 2022, I certainly don't want to discourage anyone from a career in programming because we have a global shortage of engineers. Um, so please uh, learn how to program and apply to your uh, local software development company. Uh, but in the future, it's going to look very different. Um, and I'm not sure I'm not sure the industry is even ready for what it's going to look like yet. But I think that the general direction of travel is that those who create, those who have ideas, and creativity are going to be more empowered um, than they've ever been before. And you sort of see this, I know this is this is tangential to education, but I think so much of what drives education is the culture of the time and actually what, what do you need to succeed and what do you not need? And there's, there's core skills and then there's, there's almost a softer zeitgeist around it. But if you look at social media influencers like Mr. Beast, for example, you know, I don't know how many million followers the guy's got, but he did a burger uh, restaurant launch, which was bigger than anything Burger King could have ever have done. And this is a single individual. And that is what decentralization looks like. It looks like pockets of influence that are coming from these networks of connected individuals, networks of interest, cultural um, harmony, really. So you know, a corporate couldn't have planned and executed what this one person did with his millions of followers. That is what I think decentralization looks like. So I think that the creators of tomorrow are going to be using this technology to build global movements and to build um, new communities that we can't even really imagine right now. I, I think I think LinkedIn is a little example of that in a way. You know, I mean, I remember even 10 or 12 years ago when we started the business, LinkedIn was not taken particularly seriously. But now I go on LinkedIn and I have a profile and I have a background and I have a history and I can do business with people that I've never met on the back of my LinkedIn profile. Now, I know that that's centralized because LinkedIn controls it, but it's but it's an example, I think, of, of, of an educational skill set. You know, knowing how to run a LinkedIn profile did not matter 15, 20 years ago. I think for anybody in a in a modern workplace setting, it really matters now. What does your online presence look like? What's the perception of you? What's the, what almost, what's your personal brand? You know, it, I think the metaverse requires you to have more of an understanding of that, of that. And it turns us all into creators. So at the one end, yes, people will be programming and they, and they will be continuing to program for quite a long time, but there will come a point where more and more people are empowered through off-the-shelf tools through AI-powered capabilities to build this metaverse digital presence of themselves. And I think the blockchain and Web3 is only going to enhance that. Because if you went to my LinkedIn profile and you had a way to validate all of my academic qualifications, for example, um, <clears throat> or all of my client testimonials or all of my whatever it might be, suddenly you've got this three-dimensional representation of me. And that's, and that's totally different. So I think teaching people what does it mean to exist in a digital world is is really really important because it's going to become for so many interactions the first and last interaction that an employer potentially has with you yeah i, I think i think you, you you've you've hit it on the head there and and that and it's something that we've been exploring for a while now and it although we, we do talk about kind of that decentralized technology side of things we're actually seeing almost just that philosophy of decentralization in general um, perpetuating in, into lots of different industries and especially education. And uh, you, I, even though it, it's not necessarily directly influenced by the technology, the technology will back it up. So, for example, the we, we are seeing big trends doing this podcast probably over the last two years now. The, one of the biggest trends we're seeing is uh, private online education companies popping up and um, and 
parents are all around the world deciding to send their their kids to these online schools and um, whether it's if it's just to top up what's going on from their mainstream education or they're taking their kids out of mainstream education and they're they're exploring a menu with different types of education and it's more personalized and and they could go to one school in the morning online and, and join up with a group of kids in America, join up with a group of kids in Africa in the evening, however it looks. And I think it's it's more of that, it's that taking ownership of their own education. And and instead of a system, a centralized system where you go and you, you're, somebody else makes the menu up for you and delivers it on a day-to-day basis and you have very little choice in that, then at the end of the day, they give you that certificate. Actually, in in in, in the next decade, I think we're going to move more to a, to a place where as a, as a learner, I choose what I learn. So I might actually go to a physical school for an hour. Then I might go to an online class with some kids in America. Then I might just actually teach myself some stuff on, on Udemy or, or, or whatever it is. But actually, if, if I'm then gaining those qualifications or those micro credentials, whatever they look like, on a decentralized network and I can collect them and they come become part of my blockchain skills wallet, for example, then it really puts the power, that decentralized power back into the, the hands of the learner. And then school becomes uh, something completely different altogether. Like the, 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 the potential is limitless really. So you, you could literally have a child who teaches themselves from, from whatever age anything they want because they because they're accessing it and i suppose it's happening to a certain extent now but the more formalized credential side of it where the power and the proof and the identity um sits with the learner backed up by that technology is exciting and i think we'll only just propel it into into the mainstream yeah and i think it becomes increasingly important when in a sort of post-covid world you know, you've got, I mean, remote working is nothing new, but what COVID did was it made it legitimate for, for virtually everybody, okay? And so that does create this question. Yeah, it creates this question of credibility, authenticity. Who are you? How do I know who you are? Um, and this this sort of bridging of disciplines is what I think makes it all happen. I mean, in a sense, you know, if you were sort of trying to look for that, that catch-all statement, what the what the metaverse needs to be for it to be the things people are, are claiming it will be is that every aspect of my physical world is tokenized into the digital world because that's really the only way it's going to work. If you want it to be indistinguishable, if you want it to be as powerful as my physical world, then my money needs to be there. My music collection needs to be there. My friends need to be there. My academic qualifications need to be there. And so my healthcare needs to be there. It the and that's no different really to what already happens it's just it's in pockets and you don't have control over it your healthcare is already digitized my money is already digitized my record collection is, is in it it's already digitized but it's not in such a manner that i have the total control over it as i do in a physical setting and so i think that's i think that's one of the things that that happens but i love the idea of the evolution of the school of tomorrow i mean i remember you know, when I started learning um, mobile development, which is quite a long time ago now, and um, Stanford released their entire semester for download through the iTunes Education Store for free. And I was just like, this is amazing. It's like I'm at Stanford, you know, I'm hearing the Stanford lecture. I'm seeing now, of course, this isn't that revolutionary today. But if you go back 15, 20 years, this is like, wow, this is a big thing. Actually, this is like, educational establishments are suddenly not bounded by their physical locality anymore um and i think that is great and i and i mean you guys are the professionals so this is sort of like a this is a this is a layperson's opinion but i suppose i think about it with with my son as well and i think about what is what are the characteristics of great education and i think one of the big characteristics is access to an amazing community a community that really stimulates you and helps you grow and helps you think differently and challenges you and exposes you to new things. Um, and I don't think there is a bigger community than the fully connected online world. What we need to do is make sure that we still get high quality tuition. We still get high quality 
credentials, we still get high quality accreditation coming through that system. You know, we don't, I don't think it needs to be a race to the bottom on quality. I think you can bring most of that with you, but, um, you know, it, it requires a very different approach to the brand and organization that you're building from an academic perspective, I imagine. But I think the tech creates the opportunity for, you know, if your mission is to educate the world, educate as many people as possible, I think we're moving into a, a place where that's going to be really genuinely in reach. I'm going to say my famous tagline, Dan, just put it out there. I think we could go on all night. Literally, Dan and Ben laugh at me all the time. But I think it's been a real... We've covered quite a few episodes on Web3. We've gone through the whole process. We've defined it. We've tried to put it in. But I think tonight's episode has really refurbed it for me in regards to the where we're at, the potential, and where it could go in so many different facets. And it's and it's, and it's it's been a bit of a... Uh, an eye opener for some of the and, and just kind of got me my, my cogs going. I could probably hear the hamster wheel going at certain points where I'm just thinking, oh, and and hopefully that's been the the, the case for for everybody that listens along. I think it's one of those things where it applies it to context and really gets you thinking about what the next steps are and, and gets everybody exploring it as a community, having conversations about it because that's where it comes when it becomes a conversation and something that people discuss rather than this thing that people ignore and are scared of. I think that's where it becomes more powerful, like you say. Let's bring it to the forefront. So it's been an absolute pleasure, Adam. Obviously, we've we've known each other a while now. Uh, not touch not touch base for, but I think to to share your insights and everything else that goes with it with the audience has been uh, has been something that we've really enjoyed. So thanks for coming on. Well, thank you guys. I, I love what you're doing as well. So um, yeah, really really happy to be on the show, and um, yeah, really excited to see where you where you guys take things next. Right. Perfect. Thanks, Adam. Appreciate it.